My name is Ben. Uh, I'm the young adults pastor here at Elam, and I'm super glad you decided to hang out with us on a Tuesday. And I'm going to tell a quick story about my kid because when you become, if you have kids, it's really hard to talk about anything other than your kids because they completely take over your entire life. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's frustrating. But we just recently did a move, as, as I'm sure I've probably talked about too much already. But we moved from Ontario to here, and I learned something about my three-year-old. And I might have said it in passing, but I'm going to dive deep into it today. My three-year-old, her name is Ellie, really sucks at building IKEA furniture. She's awful at it. Like, you've seen, like... You, you know you like have someone that you like want to build IKEA furniture with and some people you don't like and like if you're dating someone right now or you're engaged if you want to know if the relationship's going to work out ask them to help you build like some IKEA or Walmart furniture or something and you will know very quickly if the relationship will last actually probably don't do that because it might end a lot of relationships and I'm going to get a bunch of people pastor Ben told us to build this and everything was in Swedish and now my 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 boyfriend won't talk to me anymore there's certain people you don't want to build with. My, my toddler sucks at it. She's awful. She can't hold an Allen key the right way. But she has no idea of this. In fact, she's utterly convinced that she's the best helper. Like, she really thinks she's good at it. So we were, um, I, I was literally like, we're just eating breakfast. And like, I guess I also kind of suck at IKEA furniture. Because one of the bolts just fell out of the bottom of our table the other day. And my wife was at work. It was a, it was a day that, that Ellie and I were kind of hanging out at home. It was a Friday. Her daycare was closed. And she's like, Daddy, let me fix it. And I was like, sure. And she grabs something that she thinks is a tool. I don't even remember what it was. I think it was some sort of like, it might have been like a like part of a toy, that, like a Play-Doh thing. And she just starts hitting everything. And she's like, am I fixing it? I'm like, of course you're fixing it. You're doing great. She wasn't fixing it. She was doing awful. But don't tell her that. Um, if anyone sees her, your dad said a bunch of mean things about you. Please don't do that. That'll shatter her confidence. She's small. But she thinks she's able to help, and it's so funny because whenever I have anything to do with the house, her first response is, Dad, can I come help, which is adorable, and I hope she still has that going forward. Like, she loves to help me or my wife with the dishes. She wants to help cook things. She wants to push the buttons on the microwave. She loves shoveling snow. Like, her favorite thing. I kid you not, this happened a couple weeks ago after we had that snowstorm. I shoveled everything, like, and we don't have a huge amount to shovel because the snowdrifts bless us and they blow the snow right away. But I was shoveling. She's like, Daddy, can I come with you? I said, maybe, but I really wanted to get it done. And as a three-year-old, it takes her a while to get dressed. By the time she was ready, I was done shoveling. And she's just there. She's like, she starts to cry, like, full. She's like, I want to shovel. And I was like, Sorry, kid, like, you're too slow. No, I'm like, okay, we'll go. So I put some snow back. But there's this childlike, yeah, I put it back, and I let her shovel it out. And then my wife slept. No, I'm kidding, that didn't happen. But there's this childlike drive where she's like, hey, let me help. Let me get involved. And I think that one of the things that we miss as we grow old is we lose that. We lose that mystifying ability that we might have the answer to something. And we slowly age out of it. It talks in the Bible a lot about becoming like a little child. And that's how you'll see the kingdom of heaven. And a lot of times I think that it's referring to that childlike sense of wonder where they're like, hey, let me, let me do that. Like, Dad, I can fix the car. Like, or like, here's the worst part. And like, so the, the, the other, other stuff is cute. Anyone that knows me knows that I lose my keys in my wallet pretty often. They're in my pocket right now. But I lose my keys pretty often. I got a tile. Sometimes it doesn't work. And I don't know if you're like me, like who here like loses their stuff often? Okay, a few honest people and people that are just better than the rest of us. I get it. If I am like in a rush to get to work or to go out somewhere and I can't find my keys, I'm not fun to be around. I'm frustrated. I don't want you to tell me to look under the couch again. I already checked. 
in these moments sometimes, my daughter will be like, Daddy, and she'll be like, stop. Let me help. And I'm like, listen, like, honey, I really don't have time. I really, and she's like, have you checked here? And she'll like be adamant, and she never knows where they are. But she'll like, she'll almost get in the way, and I'm frustrated. And, and often in my times, so I'll be like, Christy, just hold Ellie. I really got to find my keys. And maybe this is a point of weakness that I need to come to confession about, that I get very frustrated when I can't find my keys. But I can get frustrated, and I can very easily dismiss what's going on. And I can miss it. And that's normal. We're going to look at the Bible today about a situation that's oddly similar to this in different ways. In John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15, it says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. You've probably heard this story before. We're going to look at it. And I love, like, classic Sunday school stories. I really do. Probably because I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. I've been in every kid's service, every junior high service, every youth service, every young adult service. I've been in a ton. And I, and I have a heart for these stories, but to look at them in a way that maybe I missed in the 50,000 times I heard them growing up. So let's read this together, and then we're going to go on. Said some, and context. Jesus is out doing his miracles. He's begun his ministry. He's gathering a crowd. There's a lot of people following him around because he's doing cool stuff. People see what he's doing. They think it's awesome. They're like, I want to go see that because that's cool. Because they didn't have much else to do in the time. Sometime after this, Jesus had crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs they had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in his mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. It says the word enough bread, right? Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Culturally, they didn't count women. It's not right. It's just the way that it worked there. So there's probably close to 15,000 people there because people traveled in family units. It's just, anyway, side note. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather up the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is holy. God, thank you that it is true. And thank you, God, that it can continue to speak to us today, even though it was written so long ago. In your holy name we pray. Amen. This is a weird story. If you like, again, if you've seen Veggie Tales or you know how it goes, as soon as you get like five seconds into the story, like, yeah, Jesus is going to do a cool thing. It's what Jesus does. But we've got to remember that like this stuff actually happened. Like this took place, which means that they were in this situation and Jesus, for whatever reason, like, I have a problem when people get really stuffy in church, and like, oh, you can't, like, you can't have fun. Jesus clearly had a sense of humor. In this situation, he's literally trolling the disciples because he's noticing there's like 15,000 people around, and he's like, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? And it even says, like, he already knew. So he's 100% just kind of messing with them. And they're in this spot, and these people, we know that they're following Jesus. Why? Because he's doing miracles. They are expecting something from him. 
They aren't necessarily there just to hear him teach. They know he's a good teacher, but they see the signs and his wonders. And the, the Jewish Passover festival, or sorry, feast is near. They are expecting something for him. There is an expectation on them. And if you've ever seen a group of people with an expectation on something that's not being met, it can get rowdy right? It can get awkward. It can get loud. Like case in point, right now there's a bunch of truckers that are in Ottawa that have an expectation and they want people to meet it. It's very loud. It's all over the news. Whichever side you're on, you know that it's loud and there's stuff going on. If I was up here and I was like, hey, I'm going to tell you this great story. And then I just kind of stop. Before long, you guys would probably start to talk amongst yourselves. There's an expectation that I'm setting up, right? Or if you've ever show, gone to a concert and you know the band's going to be there and they start to get, they're, they're late. And I've seen things where people throw things at the stage and they riot and they freak out because an unmet expectation of a crowd is a stressful situation. I found myself in a situation like this. I was hosting an event called Overflow in, uh, in Ontario. and It's our big youth convention there. And I was hosting the pre-show. So there's about 4,000 teenagers in the room. And I'm on stage with, with my, my partner who was working on her, her name was Rachel. And the power went out to the main thing, and all we had was our mics, and they said, Ben, you need to kill time. And I'm like, great, you want me? I had 15 minutes of material. You want me to kill time? How much time? Like, we don't know. This was like my Vietnam, I swear. We went on for like 45 minutes of me making up these ridiculous games, and this crowd started to freak out because they wanted something from us because they showed up for this youth convention, and all they got was a weird guy in skinny jeans making him a fool of himself for 45 minutes which is really close to what most youth conventions are anyway, but I'm just, someone's been to one here. Thank you. So in this moment, the disciples are stressed out because there's an acknowledgement that they want something from Jesus, and Jesus is like, all right, yeah, I see. You guys, like, drive by a Tim's or something, or, like, is there a Costco? Because there's a lot of people. And Philip is like, dude, come on. It would take so much money. What you are asking is impossible. Do you know what it would take? Do you know the amount of money? It's weird that he goes right to money. He's like, we don't have enough guys to carry it. He doesn't go, there's nowhere around. He's like, money's the first thing he goes to. We don't have the resources. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the capital to purchase this. And then Andrew comes up and he's like, hey. That's how Andrew sounded. It's in the Bible. <laughs> there's this kid who has a bag lunch for himself. And I guarantee you most of the disciples were like, Andrew, not it. we talked about this. Stop, just sit down, don't, don't do it. He's like, hey. And let me preface this a little bit. I'm assuming in this point that this kid volunteered because I don't think the disciples made a practice of bullying children and stealing their lunches. I think that's a safe assumption we can make. I've told this story before. Like, how did you know the boy volunteered? Come on, you think Jesus' best friends are like, hey kid, what's in the bag? <laughs> like, no, that's not what happened. <laughs> What happened was this boy volunteered in Andrew, and he would have made the disciples aware of it. And if you know the story, we just read it. This little boy hands it to Jesus, and something incredible happens, and there's food to spare. There's three questions that we need to ask ourselves in a situation when we're looking at this. The three questions. The first thing is, where are you sitting? The second thing is, what is in your bag? And the third thing is, who are you handing it to? The first question is, where are you sitting? You see, we can learn a lot in between the lines when we read the scripture. We can learn a lot of the things that aren't said. And so what do we know? We know that Jesus' disciples are not a gang of thugs that are, well, not anymore. Some of them are former criminals, but I'm pretty sure they were clean at this point. They're not running around stealing kids' lunch money. They're not. We know that this kid would have volunteered his food. He gave it up. So what does that tell us? That means that he was aware of the commotion that they were trying to figure out a plan. Which means in a rowdy crowd, 
of thousands of people that were expecting something, that were expecting miracles, that were expecting a show. Jesus and his 12 staff members are talking, they're discussing this, and this little boy is close enough to hear the need. Don't miss out on that. When I ask where you're sitting, are you in your life, are you close enough to the heart of God to feel the need, to hear the need? Are you there at a spot where you're like, oh, I know, I know what needs to be done. I know what, what's there. Where are you sitting? Are you, when you show up, and I'm not talking literally in church because we got a system, but when you show up in your relationship with God, are you people that are in the back where you're like, yeah, I'm kind of here for the show and I sure hope someone feeds people, but whatever, I'm not going to do anything about it. Or are, are you maybe in a crowd of people that are talking so loud and you can't differentiate what God's saying because you can't get far enough away from the crowd that has a thousand different voices all the time. Or maybe for you, the crowd is social media, the crowd is the world around you, all the information overload that we are bombarded with, maybe it's school, maybe it's work, Maybe it's stress. Maybe it's all these things. And we can't hear what God is saying because we are seated in a spot where we're not able to hear the voice of God. Where are you sitting? This little boy was sitting close enough to hear what God wanted. He had postured himself in a way that he could understand and he could anticipate the need of what God wanted to do. And he could say, yeah, I got this. The next question is, what's in your bag? And the obvious answer to this is, I mean, not enough, right? Like we just sang about. The question isn't how much is in your bag. The question is what is in the bag? What do you have? This little boy had food. There was a need for food. This little boy had it. And maybe he was young and maybe he was really young, like my daughter. And he's like, oh, I, Jesus, you want food? I'll give you food. Don't worry. We got this. We got food. Like I imagine like a church here on a Sunday morning or I don't know, we're at, we're at a... We're at a a CFL game, we're at the Grey Cup, we're at the Super Bowl, and everyone's hungry, and my daughter's like, I got fruit snacks, we're fine, we got this. Like, maybe that's his attitude. I don't know. But he looks at what he has, and he's like, I, the need is related to this. I, this won't even make a dent, but I'm going to see what happens. Hey, what's in your bag? What do you have that might be able to meet a need? I'm not saying, do you have enough of it? I'm saying, is it even related? What do you got? What has God gifted you with? And this is where we come and we qualify. It's like, well, I can only do this, but I'm really not that great at it. I'm really not that good. Like, you think, and I assume this kid's mom packed his lunch because my mom packed my lunch until I was 26. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Um, but, no, I'm kidding. I moved out. She kicked me out when I was like 18. Um, I went to school. Anyway, I digress. I assume his mom packed it. When she packed that lunch, she knew exactly what was in there and how far it was supposed to go. She did. He knew how far it was supposed to go. It had an intention. The intention was to feed him. It wasn't to feed everyone else. And so he was probably as shocked as anyone, especially his mom. Like, can you imagine? He's like, what did you do with your lunch? I fed 5,000 people with it, mom. It was awesome. Here's five baskets of your leftovers. She's like, son, I know you're bad at math, but like, come on. <laughs> like, can you imagine that kid's in like three years? If you have five fish and two loaves and you take two away, how many do you have? 50,000 loaves. <laughs> Jesus is getting this kid kicked out of math class. Oh, man. 
But he, it's not how much do you have. Listen, it is not how much time you have. It's not how much energy you have. Do you have time? Do you have energy? It is not how good you are. Do you have gifting? Do you have passion? What is in your bag? Maybe you're friendly. Maybe you have compassion. Maybe you care about people. Maybe you have unbelievable administrative skills. Maybe you're great at technology. Maybe you know computers. Maybe you know people. Maybe you have a gift that is so weird and obscure that I could spend 30 minutes rhyming off things and I'd never get close to it. But you look at it and you're like, I don't know if this could ever do anything but you've got it. And the third question is, who are you handing it to? I like this one a lot. See, I like to relate this a lot to talent and gifting, right? I really do. And if Matt, if you want to get on the keys, because it's going to make sense in a little bit. You sat right in the middle. I told you you were coming up. Josiah's like, ah, oh, you're calling me to the keys not in your bag. I mean, it might be. I don't know. <laughs> I heard someone go, oh, like, this is grade eight. Like, what's going on? It's like, Matt got called to the principal's office. He has to play keys now. It's going to sound good, though. Don't play something dumb. <laughs> Can you imagine? No, I'm kidding. Who are you handing it to? I like to relate this to talent and gifting because the truth is a lot of the times we look at what's in our bag and we look at what its intended purpose is in our eyes. That boy could have very easily looked around and been like, everyone's hungry but me. And ate. Often we can look at what we have and we think if we use our talents and our abilities to glorify ourselves, it will do that. It will feed ourselves. It will take care of what we need in the moment, but it will never reach beyond that. If we hold so tight to these things that are that great, maybe we're great at music, maybe we're great at singing, maybe we're great at, at, at finances, maybe we're great at all these things, but we're just going to try to use it for ourselves, you will feed yourself. You will, for sure. You'll have to go home, pack another lunch. You will be able to feed yourself. That boy could have fed himself. Like, Mom, crazy day. Everyone was hungry. There was a fight. It was crazy. I ate my food, though. I'm good. See you later. But instead of deciding to feed himself, he decided, who did he give it to? Did he give it to his friends around him? Like, hey, we're hungry. Was like, hey, here, take this. No. And we do that. We think we don't, but maybe we take our greatest gifts, our greatest talent, and we throw them out to Instagram and say, oh, I hope someone finds. Oh, I hope we get big on TikTok. Do the elbow dances that we all did four years ago, except for not me because I'm old. Maybe we take what we have and we give it to, to, a, to, to that special guy or that special girl that we think is amazing and they're going to fulfill our life. So we hand what we have to them and we think, here, take this. That, that'll make my life whole. And we give it to the wrong person. We give it to the wrong culture. We give that, that bit of us that we have that's in our bag. We give it to the wrong people and we end up going hungry. And maybe they don't even like it, right? Maybe they try it and it's like, that's not good. And we feel like we're worthless and we're like, I'm not enough. Because you're right, you know what, if that boy tried to distribute, if he was like, hey, I'm going to do this by myself. Hey, guys, 15,000 of you, come get some food. Very quickly, he would realize he is not enough, and he would be burnt out, and he would be left, and he would be ridiculed, and he would be lost, and be confused. He'd be a little kid trying to assemble this Ikea furniture all by himself, and it'd be a mess. But if you take what you have and you give it to Jesus, not only will you be able to feed yourself, but you'll be able to make a difference in the lives around you. It doesn't matter if you have enough because you don't. The best thing you can realize is that you're not enough. So you need to give everything that you have in the hope that God can take it and do something amazing with it. And that's exactly what he did. 
You see, with our talents and our giftings and our time and our energy and the, and the people that we've been called to be, if, if we decide to give that to God, we can actually go so much further. We can do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. You will be shocked of what God can, by what God can do with what he's gifted you with. When you give it back to him, when you say, hey, I'm not going to hoard this for myself. I'm not going to hold on to this just me. This isn't my lunch. This isn't just to feed me. When it's like, hey, God, whatever you need, take it. There's a, there's a story in the Bible, again, where Jesus is talking about people that are giving, and there's, there's two people that are giving. There's the rich guy with all the nice clothes, and he's the Pharisee, and he makes a huge deal of everything he's got. He's like, I'm giving 15 million whatever. And then there's this lady that has nothing. There's not out in her bag, but she gives everything. And he asks the disciples, he's like, hey, who gave more? And like, well, this is another math problem, Jesus. Like, <laughs> and so the lady that gave everything, that she had in that moment, that little boy saw an incredible miracle. You know what I love to think about? It's a sobering thought. In a crowd of 15,000, there was for sure more than one person that packed a lunch. But we're not talking about any of them except for one. I love it. I preached on David a couple, a couple weeks ago here on a Sunday morning. I love thinking about the story of David when there was only, out of all the people that volunteered, he's, he's the only one that we know for sure volunteered. What if other people missed out on it? It said in the Bible, like early on when Abraham walked with God, I don't think God was exclusive. I think that Abraham was the only one that was willing to listen. Guys, listen. Don't be one of the 5,000 that doesn't give what they have. Get in on what God wants to do. Look at what you've got, whether it's obscure or maybe it's amazing, right? Maybe this is, you're here and you're like right away, like, oh, I know what I should be doing. It also talks in the Bible for whom much is given, much is expected. We don't talk about that a lot in church because it makes us uncomfortable because it's like, hey, people that are really gifted, if you say that you're passionate about Jesus and you're not using your gift to glorify him, you're probably not passionate about Jesus. Sorry. But that's the truth. It's quiet when I say that, but it's true. If you're passionate about something, you will use what you have for it. And maybe, but maybe you, you feel like this little boy, like, ah, I don't have much. but he had something. Listen, I want us to get this as a group, I really do. We are surrounded by a world that is hungry for something. We are surrounded by a world that is desperate for a cause to believe in. Like one of the things that I've made a very large point of over my career is people talk to me about all the time, like, and this is like your generation, you guys are a little younger than me, where like all oh, this millennials or Gen Z or whatever, they're just apathetic, they don't care, like whatever. Like you guys are the most socially conscious generation ever. The amount of people that are willing to go all in for causes are unbelievable. People are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. They're looking for something to believe in. They're looking for something to rally around. They're looking for food. We are surrounded by people that are hungry and God is kind of standing up and saying, hey, what are we gonna, what do you think we should do about it guys? Like, how dumb do you think the disciples felt if some of them had food on them? Can you imagine? I imagine some of them probably did because, like, some of them were idiots. Not all of them were. Like, they had a guy that ran their accounting for them. They had a decent organization going on. Not one of them was like, hey, Jesus, take mine. Hey, Jesus, I got this. They waited, and there was a little kid that, was, that had the most insignificant amount of food. 
the least likely to say, hey, hey, what if I can help? Let me help build this. Take what I've got, whatever you need, Jesus. And Jesus is like, awesome, this is what I can use. So I don't know what's in your bag. I don't know where you're seated tonight. I don't know who you're planning to give it to, but let me encourage you. Listen, if you are a part of Elam Young Adults, you, you call this your church home, listen, it's time to start looking and, and start, trying to start, start spreading what God's given you. It's time to start handing things to God because the truth is the task at hand is a generation that needs to find Jesus. The task at hand is people that are looking to the church for something. They don't know what they want yet, right? Like this crowd that's around Jesus, like this guy's doing something. Let's kind of watch and see what's going to happen. And they're expecting something and they end up leaving with their bellies full, their needs met more than they thought they could have. And they heard from the King of Kings, from the Lord of Lords. They left knowing that he was the son of God. Listen, when the world looks at us, if you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus, when people look at the church, they're, they're expecting something. It'd be a shame if we look right with him and say, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm glad I packed my own lunch, though. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it a little bit differently today. Like, normally in a moment like this, like, oh, the band would come. We would sing a big song. Be like, yeah, it's emotional. Jesus is great. Youth convention. Actually, I want to do things a little bit differently today. Because, like, there's a task at hand, guys. There is. I firmly believe that God wants to use this young adults group to reach our city for incredible things. I really do. I think that God wants to speak for the people that are in this room to go into places that I could never go, that Pastor Marvin could never go, that the lead team could never go, because God has an audience that surrounds your life that needs you to do something about it. We all have different things that God has given us in our packed lunch in our bag. We all have different things. We all have different giftings. And there's different needs out there. So here's what we're going to do. And it's going to be, it's going to feel a little bit weird because it's like I'm building up to like, what's he going to say? It's not going to be a huge thing. Like you're not going to be like, oh, that was a great tweetable line because I don't want people to feel like, like the business with God is done in this room because I think it matters what we do when we go out. So in a moment when I close, here's what we're going to do. So we've got our lead team here. Our lead team is fantastic. Our, our young adult leaders, they got lanyards on right now. They're all responsible for different parts of the ministry. You'll see Nathan and Josiah up here sometimes. Josiah kind of like their brothers, but Josiah just plays drums. He doesn't play bass or keys, so he's not as good. I'm kidding. <laughs> you see them up here, or you'll see our, our production meet, our production guys that make it look good and sound good. Or we've got people that want to do missions and outreach. Or we've got people that plan the social things and the fun aspects of things. Or involved in social media. There's all these different areas that you can get involved in. And if you're like, hey, I think that I actually might have something that could help. Talk to them afterwards. Say, hey, I play the triangle so well. Let me play. Hey, I, I love board games. Let me run board games. Hey, I'm, I'm, I really care about kids. I want to help. Or I really care about downtown, inner city people. I want to help with this. I have a burden for this. Hey, you know what? I don't know what I can do, but I know how to use a computer, and I can help my grandma get on her email. Do you think that they can use that skill for something? I guarantee you we can. Everyone's got something different. I challenge you, get involved. I challenge you, give what you have and just see what God does. I told this story at Lead Team. I don't know if I told it preaching here, and if I did, I'm sorry. Sometimes I repeat things. I have a, I have a guy when I was in Mississauga, he was one of my leaders, and he, came, he was like in really good shape. Like the kind of guy that you see, and like, 
in too good a shape. He's in fantastic shape. And he said, hey, I'm really passionate about fitness. Do you think that like I could do like a guy's like fitness group? And I was like, sure, I think it'd be awesome. Let, 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 let me help you do it. Like, not obviously, I'm not gonna help him do it because he's in better shape than me. But I was like, yeah, what do you need? He's like, well, maybe just like tell a couple of people. And I'm like, cool. This guy's gonna like take five kids. He's gonna do hill sprints all summer. They're gonna they're gonna puke. It'll be fun. This guy with like starts this like training journey. By the end of the summer, he's got like 45 kids coming out every single week doing like NFL combine style like things where they're tracking what they're doing. He gets in the he gets on the phone. He just like calls whatever high-profile Christian athletes he can get a hold of. He ends up working with professional, like, NBA-level trainers, guys that have, like, won NBA championships, gets on, like, reaches out to them or the guys that trains them, builds a program, and he now has an entire ministry. And this is, like, less than a year ago he started this. And it's unbelievable. Like, talking to kids, like, my life was changed at the time. It was called Portico Fitness because that's the church we're at. He's changed it. He's rebranded. Check it out, Renew Fitness. It's on Instagram. He's great. Love you, Daniel. Um... But he did this because he's like, I've got this. I don't know how like fitness works in the church context, but I want to try it. Can I do it? I was like, heck yeah, you can go. And nothing to do with me. It everything to do with him giving something to God. And literally, I've talked to kids who's like, my life was changed by that event. I can't wait till we do it again. And like, the workouts were hard, man. I almost threw up doing one of them. I'm also, you know, but. You never know what God could do through you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. I've got a couple quick announcements I'm going to make. And then talk to someone on our lead team. Honestly. And lead team, seek, seek people out. Make it awkward. You know when I was like kind of standing here, standing at Nathan earlier? I was like, is it awkward yet? And people were like, yeah, it's awkward. It wouldn't have been awkward if one of us said something. If you're walking by someone and they, like, I'm warning you now, lead team members, you make eye contact with someone, that's, make it awkward. No, I'm kidding. All that to say make it awkward. Yeah, because you know what, sometimes, how do you think that kid felt when he stepped away from his friends? I was like, one second, guys, I hear these guys talking about something. You think that it wasn't a little awkward? How do you think David felt when he went to Saul's like, hey, let me fight this giant? How do you think, how do you think Saul felt when, when after he, or Paul felt after he'd been killing Christians his entire life? And this is some, if you're a church kid, you know the context I'm about. And he's like, actually, I need help. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to go to them and say, hey, how can I help you? On the other side of that awkwardness, and we're going to go into a whole series about this, not necessarily about awkwardness, but how obstacles can turn into opportunities in a few weeks. But on the other side of that is, is incredible breakthrough that God can, can work in you. Like the fear of an awkward conversation, I think, has held back unbelievably powerful moves of God in our lives. I really, I really mean that. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to chat. We're going to have some, we're going to play some games. Maybe play some dodgeball. I don't know what's going to happen make connections, lead team, go out and find people. But I got a couple of us we're going to pray. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. God, we thank you, God, that your spirit can work in a situation that, that even though it's amazing to work in, in a worshipful atmosphere, but it also can work in conversations. It can also work in, in God, you leading us through conversations, leading us in, into, into different areas of our lives. And God, I pray that, and that, that you just bless the conversations. God, you give people, God, confidence to know, the God, that what you've given them, God, is actually something that they can use to glorify you. In your holy name I pray, amen.